0: Welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and His followers from the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is on John chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 36. Please get out your Bible and follow along. What does it mean to be born anew? What is life about for those who are born from above? Why can't unbelievers see the kingdom of Elohim? What did Messiah mean when he said, Unless one is born of water and spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom. How does the Word and the Holy Spirit work together to purify us? What's the difference between the immersion of John and the immersion of Yeshua? And why is it so important to be immersed in the name of Yeshua? Does the change the Holy Spirit brings? happen right away all at once or is there a process involved and once you're born anew how committed should you be to walking it out stay tuned throughout today's program for Eliyahu Ben David's insight on these questions and more in John chapter 3 and now here's Eliyahu Ben David
1: You know, it's kind of interesting what I see Yeshua doing here, being a dad and having raised children. One thing I know is that you have to kind of meet kids on their own level. For instance, when you have a little baby, that level is feeding them and changing their diaper and giving them hugs, pretty much. And so that's what you do. But then, Eventually, the child gets to a place where he can just start to learn to walk. So then you do what you can to encourage that along, and so on. This is what I see happening with Nicodemus here. He has come because he's been impressed by the signs. And that's not enough. But it got him there. It got him there. You know, sometimes sharing a thought, uh, having somebody watch a movie with you that helps to understand something about the truth or, you know, even inviting people to share this meeting. Well, that might be enough to kind of get someone started, get someone thinking, even if it's not the total end result that you might hope for. So this is what happened with Nicodemus. He came because of the signs that meant something to him. He just kind of thought, in this very simple way that people do, well, that person can do something extraordinary, and they couldn't do that if it wasn't from God. So that's why he's there. And I think it is so interesting that Yeshua doesn't even talk about that, because that's not really what he wants to talk about. That's not why he's doing the signs. It's not the signs that are the big thing. The big thing is what he has to talk about so he just gets right to the heart of it and i like that because you know what this man deserved that you have to think about what's happening with the person when an opportunity comes up for you this man here came to yeshua
2: in the night and yeshua doesn't
1: know in the context of the way that we perceive things, what's going to happen with this man? Will he ever see him again? If you have this happen, you don't know, do you? So you can't pussyfoot around with somebody if you get one chance. you got to dive right in, don't you? And tell them what you've got. You've got to unload with what you've got. So that's what Yeshua does. He just jumps right in. And he says, most certainly I tell you, unless one is born anew, he can't see the kingdom of Elohim. Almost like saying you can see signs, but you can't see the
2: kingdom. And of course, Yeshua is right. If you're not born anew, you can't see the kingdom. Those of us who are born anew, we
1: live in the kingdom. The kingdom is all around us. Yeshua's authority, and he is the king of the kingdom, is everywhere around us in our life, isn't it? We see the kingdom. But we are empowered to be able to see the kingdom. Until you're born anew... You just don't have the eyes to see the kingdom. You're like these poor evolutionists that are trying to figure out how come there's people on this earth who come up with these myths about people spontaneously generating in the ocean and going through all of these different levels to finally become humans. How ridiculous is this idea? But what this is, it's the desperate attempt of the fallen nature to try and figure things out because there are no eyes to see what the truth is. This is laughable to a person who has been born from above. And we think, how is it they can't see it? Because clearly we're seeing the kingdom and they're not. So this is just very real. It's very true. Those who are not born anew, they don't have eyes to see the kingdom. They just don't. So let's try not to be too hard on them about that, because they're blind. Well, it goes on. It says, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus is telling Yeshua, well, I'm not born again. Right? you know exactly from what he's saying that he has not had the experience of being born anew. When you talk to people out there, you're not judging somebody as evil because you recognize they're not born from above. They tell you. When you talk to somebody and you start talking about spiritual things, they will tell you whether they're born from above or not. And then you need to deal with them accordingly, just like you would your little two-year-old, right? If they're not born from above, you can't expect them to know the things that a person knows who is born from above. You have to deal with them on that level. If they are born from above, well, that's a whole different thing, right? Because... We have a whole different language that if we share that spirit within our heart, we can talk to one another from the position of faith. Entirely different thing. So, Yeshua answers him, Most certainly, I tell you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom of Elohim. So he just said, if you're not born from above or born anew,
2: you can't see the kingdom. And
1: that's bad enough. Here he says, unless one is born of water and spirit, he can't enter the kingdom. Now we're talking something tragic, aren't we? something really tragic, because even Nicodemus would know
2: that he'd want to enter the kingdom. So, what about this? What does this mean?
1: One is born of water and spirit. Well, like a lot of things that Yeshua says, it can mean more than one thing. And I believe it does. Nicodemus has just said to Yeshua, well, what, can I go back in my mother's womb and be born again? So that is in the context. So Yeshua could be saying, well, just being born of water, in other words, being born in the natural birth process is not enough. You have to be born of the Spirit too. So that, that wouldn't be a stupid meaning, would it? But some people don't think that's a spiritual enough meaning. And it might not be. There's other things it could be. Some people think the water here is the Spirit. And that doesn't make sense to me, because saying, unless one is born of the Spirit and the Spirit, I don't think that Yeshua stuttered. So I don't think that's it. How about the water of the Word? Because, you know, this is talking about purification. And the Scriptures do tell us that we are purified by the Word. And that's very important. And the Word and the Spirit work together to purify us. Now, how does this work? Well, when we put faith in Yeshua, we receive His Holy Spirit. And we're forgiven of our sins. Our sins are covered. In that sense, we are purified. However, in our actual walk, are we now perfect like Yeshua?
2: Does he want us to change? Well, he
1: does. How are we going to know the ways in which he wants us to change? Isn't it the word that does that? And... Through the Word, when we see a way in which Yeshua is showing us we need to change, then the Spirit is involved and actually helps us do it. Nobody can change. The Spirit can help you do it, right? But you have to be willing and work together. So it does take the Word and the Spirit. And here's another thing, you know, many people say they believe, but they don't walk it out. The word is about helping us to walk it out, and that's what shows and proves that we believe. If we're walking it out, you know what's going to happen? We're going to walk right into the kingdom of Elohim, because we're walking in it already. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This is two entirely different outlooks, friends.
2: From a fleshly point of view, what is life about? Isn't it about
1: satisfying yourself? Isn't that really what life is about? From that point of view, what makes sense? Well, do everything you need to do to succeed as much as you can in this world, and succeed has a certain meaning in that context, doesn't it? And that's what life is all about. It's kind of like that board game, the game of life, right? You go around the the board game and trying to get as much as you can, and the person who dies with the most wins basically how that works. But to the person born of the Spirit, that is just emptiness and folly. Because when you get to the end of the board, and you've acquired all of that, you can't take it with you. So what good is all that? A person who's born of the Spirit has different priorities. And it's based on real things in that person's heart. Now, Yeshua is explaining what this experience is like to live as a person who has been born anew. He says, the wind blows where it wants to, and you hear its sound, but don't know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. People who truly are born of the Spirit and who walk in the Spirit are an enigma to those who are not. Because they're watching, it's just exactly like this, you know, you're walking down the street and all of a sudden there's a gust of wind and... You know, it picks up your umbrella and blows it down the street, or you don't know what's happening. You don't know why it happened. You just know it annoys you that it happened. And a lot of times, we folks who have been born anew, we're very annoying to other people. We're not trying to be, but you see, we have this voice that is compelling us. It's the voice of God. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit. But it's not always in words. Sometimes it's just His Spirit impressing something onto our spirit and like the wind blowing us in a certain direction. Now that doesn't look very solid to a lot of people. That looks like someone who is mentally unstable, right? As they... Just follow where the Spirit leads them. But what is that about? Really what that's about is doing the will of God instead of your own will. You see, life is so much more tidy in some ways if you're not born from above. Because you can make a plan, right? And your parents, they save and save and save in order to have money for you to go to college. They've got it all planned out. You're going to be a doctor just like your father was or whatever. And you got this whole program. So you get right into that groove. You feel you're going to do that whole program. And that's what your life is going to be about. You know, you're going to get married at a certain point. You're going to have a family. You're going to do all these things that life is about. Only... What happens for most people as they actually set about accomplishing their plan? Well, if they actually are successful in accomplishing their plan, they really find their plan isn't everything they thought. But then people also meet a lot of obstacles. They go through all these things and then their wife divorces them and takes the house and all the kids. I mean it doesn't turn out the way that you think many, many times. So it looks like it's a neater package, but it really isn't. On the other hand, you have your heavenly father and he knows everything. And he knows who you are really meant to be. And when you're starting out, you don't know that.
2: You don't know that. So,
1: you're thinking, okay, I need to go this way. And not only that, people in your life are all telling you, you need to go this way. But your Heavenly Father is thinking, oh, wait a minute, that's the wrong path for you. You need to go this way. So, you tell people, you know what, I appreciate that you want all these good things for me over here, but I think what's really best for me is I need to go this way. Well, that's very disconcerting to those people that love
2: you. So, do have compassion
1: on them because they love you, but go that way. If you're born anew, you've already made the choice where you're going. So, live by that. Live by that. Be that person. You know, this is the biggest problem, I think, for people who have been born anew. They sometimes live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. That is never going to work. You've got to go all the way, one way or another, or you'll get just yanked in half. You can't do it. You've got to go all the way with the Spirit. That's what you have to do. The Spirit informed
2: by the Word. You know, it's really amazing
1: how you can turn out like really different than you ever imagined when you started this walk.
2: And I'll tell you why.
1: Your father, who created you, and you know, when you're born anew, you're a new creation, he put certain things inside of you, you know, like gifts and talents and abilities that you don't even know you've got. You don't even know you've got. So you're thinking, well, I think I'm a pretty good builder. I think what I should do is go into being a construction worker. And he's seeing a whole different picture. Hey, wait a minute, I put these abilities into you. You can be an evangelist. You can be a pastor. You could have this fabulous music ministry to glorify Yahweh. You know, he might have a totally different picture than what you have in your head. And here's another reason for that, because you've been limited already. Everybody around you has already decided who you are and what you can be.
2: Am I right? And
1: they put this little box around you. This is who you are. And this is what their expectations are for your life. Blow that box out of the water. Because you are so much greater than any boundaries human beings can think
2: up for you. It's you and Yeshua. And there's
1: nothing that he can put in your heart that cannot be realized by the power of his spirit. And he loves more than anything to take somebody who looks like nothing and lift them up
2: and show what he can do in the life
1: of any person. Look at what he did with King David. He wasn't King David when Yahweh did it. Right? He was the brother that all the other brothers totally forgot.
2: Because they just sent
1: him off in the field to watch the sheep, right? So when it came time for the brothers to line up, they didn't even ask him to line up with them. And he was the one that Yahweh had chosen to be the king of Israel. Do not limit yourself, follow the spirit and become the person that you're meant to be. That's what the wind blowing here is all about, right? Let the wind of God get into your sails and take you where it will take you. You know, I read the description of Noah's Ark, and there's no place in the description of Noah's Ark where there was a rudder. There was no engine, and there were no
2: sails. You should be that.
1: Let him be your engine, let him be your sails, let him be the wind that takes you where he's going to take you. That's what it is to be born anew.
2: How can these things be? Nicodemus said. That sounds like an unbeliever, doesn't it? How can these things be? You know, when I talk about the remnant exodus, this is what I hear from people. They're supposed to be believers like Nicodemus, right? But how can this be? And I feel just like
1: Yeshua. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't understand these things? This is all through the Scriptures. Don't you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses writes about a new heart and circumcision
2: by the Spirit? Should not someone who's a teacher of the Torah know that? Should not a pastor at your local Baptist church know about the remnant of Israel? Just saying.
1: I just so identify with these things that Yeshua is saying. He says, most certainly I tell you, we speak that which we know and testify of that which we have seen, and you don't receive our witness. The first thing I like here is Yeshua is saying
2: we. Who's he talking about?
1: He's talking about him and everyone who is born from above. He's saying this is our experience. If you are born from above, this is going to be your experience. You are going to tell people what you know. Because by the Spirit, you've come to know the living God. And he has spoken to you, he has showed you things, he's worked in your life. This is not like something you made up in your head.
2: It's things you know.
1: And then you testify. Well, this is what the Lord is doing in my life. This is what I know. This is what he's like in my life. This is what I've seen.
2: And what do you get? Disbelief. Well, that's what you think. Buddhists believe that. You know, Muslims believe that. This relativism thing is what you get. But you are speaking what you know, it's a fact. People today do not know the difference between deception and truth. That is very obvious. This is the state of our world.
1: And it's only getting worse because they can make the deception look so real that unless you're born from above, you're not going to be able to see the difference. That's really where things are at. Yeshua says, if I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Yeshua hasn't even gotten into the heavenly things yet. Right? He's just telling them, this is the entrance into the kingdom. Can't even get that. Nicodemus can't even get that much. So Yeshua would like to talk to this teacher of Israel, I'm sure, about deeper, more wonderful things like we talk about here. But the unbelief, it's like a wall. You can't get past that. No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended out of heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Well, if we Take this in its time context of Yeshua speaking to Nicodemus. I don't think he was in heaven. I think he was of heaven. The same word can mean either thing. But to us later, well, yeah, he's in heaven. But the point is who it is. It's the Son of God that came down to the earth to tell us what the truth is.
2: Who else can do that?
1: And then we have the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. Well, what is that about? It's about unbelief and belief. That's what it's about. That's the big
2: barrier, friends, is unbelief.
1: The Israelites, they didn't believe God. So this is why they're complaining and murmuring, because they think that either God or Moses or both of them don't know what the heck they're doing. And they're complaining about it. So because of this,
2: the penalty for unbelief fell upon them. So
1: what is the solution? Yahweh is giving them a lesson in belief. He says to put this bronze serpent up on a pole. And it says, it shall happen that everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So those who are bitten and are stricken,
2: if they want to be saved, they have to believe.
1: And if they're going to believe, they just have to look at that serpent. And then they'll be healed. And then Yahweh will heal them. Is this not just like a perfect example to Israel as to why they need to believe? You know, you would think, in listening to the politically correct of this age, that religion is just a matter of a personal preference, right? Like one person likes a red shirt and the other person likes a blue shirt or whatever, and that it doesn't really make any difference because all roads go to the same place.
2: Boy, that couldn't be more wrong. Most of the roads all do go to the same place, by the way. But there's only one road that leads to life. And you've got to find that road, and you have to believe in the Son of God it's just that simple and how you get there well he's calling you because he's calling us all and
1: you just have to open up your spiritual ears and hear him calling you and you have to respond and it's up to you that's really how it works
2: that's really how it works
1: For Elohim so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I love that verse, but I think the verse is very
2: misunderstood. The word here, translated as world, is the word cosmos. The cosmos, in its most basic meaning, is
1: the created universe. That's the world. It's the created universe as the creator created
2: it. He loved what he created.
1: And sin made it all go terribly wrong. And he wants to redeem what can be redeemed out of it. So he's opened up this opportunity for people if they will believe in his son to have eternal life. You know what's going to happen to the rest of the world? The scripture says the world is passing away.
2: And in a number of places it says I'm making a new heaven and a new earth. This world meaning this world system is passing away. The cosmos is going to be born anew. So it needs people who are born anew to live in it. Romans 12.2 also talks
1: about the world, but it uses a different word. It tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the good, well-pleasing, and perfect will of Elohim. Now, this is a step beyond being born anew. He's talking here to people who have been born anew. Now they need to do this process. Instead of conforming their life to this world, they need to be transformed by renewing their mind, and you do that through the Word, so that you can know what the will of God is, so you can do it. The word world here, don't be conformed to this world, is the word eon, properly an age, by implication, the world. So, it's the world system of a particular generation. And it can be used in the larger sense, would be the eon of, essentially, human rebellion against God. That world has to come to an end. Does God love that world? He doesn't. This is where some people get messed up, because in English...
2: It's the word world, but in the much
1: richer language that these verses were written in, we find a very important distinction here. And this helps to explain for us why we have some groups that think what we need to do is make the world a better place. And they think that's in harmony with God loving the world. I can understand that confusion. But let me tell you, you can't make the world a better place because the world is passing away. The scriptures tell us that that's what's going to happen to the world. What you can do is do the will of God while you're here in this world and help other
2: people to come to know him too. That's what you can do. He who believes in him is not judged. It's just like the serpent, right?
1: Then take that act of faith, look at that bronze serpent, and it's all over. They're they're all better, it's all over. You believe in Yeshua, it's taken care of because he's going to take care of it. You've agreed. You've agreed with God, you've agreed with Yeshua. You're not going to be a problem for the kingdom, right? Because you believe. He who doesn't believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of Elohim. You see, the problem here is that the world is already under wrath because of sin. Everybody's condemned. They're all condemned. We were condemned before we were saved, right? The whole world starts out condemned. The innocent little babies, they come into the world, they're condemned because they're born in sin. It's already present. It's contaminated. The human race is contaminated with sin. And if it continues in that condition... The only thing that can be done is it must be destroyed, like what happened with the flood. So there's a way out. Yahweh's provided a way out through belief in his son and being born anew. That's the way out. That's the lifeboat. Get in the lifeboat or drown.
2: It's that simple.
1: Now, this is telling us where all the problems are, why people don't just respond. He says, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their works were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his works would be exposed. So, when people do not respond, when they do not believe, For a while, we can think, well, they just don't know, they don't understand something,
2: whatever. But if they go through their whole life
1: like this, and they never come to the light, not judging any individuals, but what does that mean about them? Doesn't it mean their heart has been dark, and they like
2: it that way? It's not simple. You can't change that. And listen, that could be your son, your wife,
1: your mother. could be any person. It could be somebody that you love. And the fact that you love them doesn't change it if they have a dark heart. The only thing that can change that is if they will turn to Yeshua and let some light in there and change their ways. What I pray for about this with people that I love is I ask Yahweh to bring circumstances into their life to break through, if it's possible to break through, that will bring them to a place where finally they will hear. And that's a powerful prayer because what that can mean is you can be praying for things that some people think of as bad things to come into their life. Sometimes some people have to be crushed, literally, before they'll turn their heart to God. I don't want to do that to anybody, but I believe their eternal life is the most important thing, and I want Yahweh to do whatever it takes in their life, in my life, in everybody's life, to give them the maximum opportunity and likelihood to turn towards his son. He who does the truth comes to the light that his works may be revealed, that they have been done in Elohim. Those
2: are the people that we're looking for.
1: What is the difference? Why is it that you have these people who live in the darkness, who love the darkness, who love all the deception, right? And then you have
2: these few other people that love the truth.
1: And they are drawn towards the truth. Isn't that an amazing thing, that there are some people that are like that? And what I've seen, it's not really necessarily hereditary, although it can run in families. And it's not necessarily something people can be taught, because there's a lot of people who have been taught various truths from the Scriptures, but it doesn't really seem to change their hearts. It's a special thing between that person and God. And He knows who those people are. And they're the people that respond to the light. They are the people who are born anew.
2: Well, we have the
1: the baptism, the immersion. We have Yeshua immersing people when he comes into Judea. And then in, I think it's chapter 4, it's saying that Yeshua didn't immerse anybody but the disciples did. And this is certainly not a contradiction in any way, because Yeshua is the leader. If he instructs his disciples to baptize people, it can be said he's baptizing people. We use this language all the time. You know, we'll talk about, for instance, the president. The president did this, the president did that, the president did the other thing. Did the president personally do it? He had people that he sent to do it in most cases. It's the same thing with Yeshua, what he did here. But there's bigger things about this than whether or not it was Yeshua doing it. A dispute arose here on the part of John's disciples with some Judeans about purification. So what's all that about? Well, in the Torah, ritual immersion is about purification from uncleanness. For example... It has an immersion for women at the end of their monthly cycle. It's a type of ritual purity. That's what that's about. You have the immersion of the priests to prepare them to enter into their priestly activities. This was a matter of purification. Now, is anybody really purified by this water?
2: It symbolizes something else, doesn't it, in each of these cases. Well,
1: what is the difference between the immersion of John and that of Yeshua? I think what they were getting at, probably John's disciples were feeling like they had to kind of defend John because they'd been following John. So a lot of times what happened in that situation is there'd be some of them they would think, well, John is the greatest because, you know, he's our teacher and he was really pretty good, wasn't he? So they felt that way. And then you had the Jews, some of them saying, well, why don't we just stick with these purifications that are in the Torah? Why do we have to have some other kind of immersion, like from you or Yeshua? And which one is the best of these? Which one is going to do a better job of purifying? The people of God. So they had these kinds of questions coming up. And I think it's interesting. It might be that John's disciples might even have had some jealousy for John out of loyalty. I'm not saying they were bad. I'm just saying this is how things go sometimes. So I think John wanted to make his position very clear about this. And he said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven.
2: And I think that's such a great answer.
1: Because in that answer, what he's saying is, I don't aspire to be greater than anybody.
2: What I aspire to is using the gifts that I've been given from heaven. That's what I aspire to.
1: And I think that's a great answer. And that would help all of us. You know, sometimes what happens among believers, we see that some other person receives some opportunity, perhaps a ministry opportunity or something, that we would really like to have. And it's real easy then to get into a jealousy thing where we think, well, you know, that should have been me. I should have gotten that. And, you know, as soon as you start feeling like that, you're really opening up a place for the devil to come in and cause trouble and dissension and to undermine you in your walk. If we all remember what Yohanan said, what John said here, then we would understand that nobody receives anything except that This is heaven that has decided this. Now, yeah, we have false organizations, and they do all this stuff all the time. But people who are walking in the kingdom don't do that. And we look to our Messiah. You know, the scripture says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, that he ascended on high, and he gave gifts in men some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors and teachers. He's the one that decides who's going to do what. And he moves in the hearts of those that he puts in leadership in order to see that that happens. So what John is saying is exactly the truth. A man can receive nothing, meaning some spiritual anointing or gift, unless it has been given him from heaven. So John was in no way jealous, and he didn't want his disciples to be jealous. But it goes beyond that. John told us that he knew who he was, and who he wasn't. I'm not the Messiah, but I have been sent before him.
2: So for John, he didn't aspire to have the top slot. I bet you there's a lot of people that would have given
1: him that slot. Because he was truly a great prophet. I bet there's a lot of people, if he had said, yes, I am the Messiah,
2: they would have jumped right on board with that. That would have tempted a lot of people, I think. But John
1: knew what his mission was. And it wasn't to be the Messiah. It was to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And the truth is about him, he was made for that. He was made for that. (laughs) You know, he had everything it took to be the forerunner for the Messiah. He didn't have what it took to be the Messiah. Nobody does except the Messiah, right? And he says how he felt about it. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. You know, you could be the best man at the wedding, right? And your best friend, maybe your brother, has received this gift of this wonderful wife. So are you thinking, oh, I wanted her
2: for my wife? Or are you thinking, oh,
1: I'm just so happy for my brother or my friend. And you just delight in seeing them so happy. That's how John was about Yeshua. He felt like he had accomplished his purpose, and he could see that, and he could see that joy in Yeshua. And, you know, that's how Yeshua feels, by the way, about his bride.
2: He's filled with joy over his bride. It's just such a fabulous thing.
1: We think about how much we're looking forward to being united with him at his return. I think we forget that he's looking forward to being united with us at his return.
2: This my joy therefore is made full.
1: He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all.
2: You know, you hear these guys that like
1: go totally bonkers, that start saying, oh, I'm the Messiah. Do you ever hear this? Some of these people? We have them out there right now. There are people like this. Saying, I'm the Messiah. They are way too full of themselves.
2: The Messiah is the man who came from heaven. And he's been lifted up above all. Don't trust anyone who will not bend the
1: knee to Yeshua Messiah. They're not trustworthy. If you put your trust in a teacher or a leader who will not truly in their life bend their knee to Yeshua, you will be disappointed. And you will be misled. That's just a fact. So what is the difference between the immersion of John and that of Yeshua? Some people wonder about that. And what kind of immersion is Yeshua doing, meaning Yeshua's disciples? Well, here in Acts 19, one through 3, it explains the difference. And realize this is only a few years after Yeshua has been raised. It says, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found certain disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, No, we haven't even
2: heard that there is a Holy Spirit. He said, Into
1: what then were you immersed? They said, Into John's immersion. Now why would Paul be asking them about what immersion they're in? Is it important? It must be, right? Because when they haven't received the Holy Spirit, the question he comes up with is, what immersion have you had? Well, there's more. Paul said, John indeed immersed with the immersion of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him. That is Yeshua. Now, isn't that what we just heard John say? That's just what he said, isn't it? And that's what his immersion was about, to make the way for Yeshua. So when they heard this, they were immersed in the name of Adonai Yeshua. And then, when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, meaning gifts of the Spirit. So, what can we glean from this? Was the immersion that Yeshua was doing, the same as the immersion that John was doing, it wasn't. The immersion that John was doing was for repentance, people preparing their hearts to believe in Messiah. The immersion Yeshua was doing, why would he need to do an immersion of repentance to lead people to him when they're there being immersed by him? They're being immersed In his name. And the reason it's right here is because he's been telling people, John 3.16, right? You have to believe to receive eternal life. And now he's immersing people. Because why? Because that is the way that he gave as an example for how you answer God. That's how you answer. And say yes. Yes. Yes, I do believe. And you make a public display in front of everybody that you believe. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, you don't need to be immersed. You can just believe in your heart. That's very dubious.
2: Very dubious. Why would you want to do that?
1: If you're born from above, don't you want to own that? Don't you want to say, I'm a child of the living God. I've put my faith in Yeshua Messiah. If you're not willing to confess him, to step forward and confess him through being immersed in his name, then it's very questionable how much you believe or whether you really do believe because you're not putting your whole self behind it. Yeshua is
2: very much an all-in kind of guy, right? Doesn't he deserve that?
1: You know, I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell you again. I went to this one event one time, and they did their version of an altar call. And by the way, I like this guy. That's why I was there, all right, that was doing this. But at the end of his sermon, he's telling people, if you put faith in Yeshua, we're going to give you an opportunity to express that. Now everybody here, close your eyes. So nobody will have to be embarrassed. And if you want to be saved, raise your hand. Nobody will see. You won't be embarrassed. Just raise your hand.
2: I think that's pathetic.
1: Was Yeshua doing anything like that in his immersion? When people have to actually step up and be immersed in the name of Yeshua and they don't care who knows? Which one do you think has really expressed their faith?
2: We have a watered-down gospel
1: today all around us. And you know, this thing here is so personal because it's not about a religion and it's not about saying magic words. It's about a person. Yeshua Messiah. It's about him. It's about being loyal to him. It's about accepting him for who he really is. And it's about giving up your life to him. That's something we should be very happy to step forward and to make that decision where everybody can see it, and then to make it our life's work to follow through with that decision.
2: So which immersion was greater, John's or Yeshua's? (laughs) Very clear, isn't it? Yeshua's. Yeshua's.
1: The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. One who believes in the Son has eternal life, but one who disobeys the Son won't see life, but the wrath of Elohim
2: remains on him. John was quite a preacher, wasn't he? He knew exactly what the truth was. Believing. Believing obedience of the Son. That's the criteria. You will enter the kingdom or perish based on that. Unbelief. The word here disobeys the Son. Not to allow
1: oneself to be persuaded. To refuse or withhold belief. To refuse belief and obedience, not to comply with. You see, unbelief is very active. It's not just a passive thing, I don't want to think about it. Unbelief is really a very active thing. It is a decision. I'm not going to be persuaded no matter what you tell me. I
2: refuse to listen to that. I'm not going to do what the Bible says. That's a very active decision, isn't it? The one who
1: disobeys the son won't see life. But the wrath of Elohim remains on him. Very much going along with what Yeshua said, that wrath is on those who
2: remain in sin. The wrath of God.
1: If that was not how things were, how could we ever have a righteous universe? How could we ever have a righteous world? If God just loved everybody so that whether you believed or didn't believe, whether you obeyed him or didn't obey him, you could enter into the kingdom. Would anybody want to be in the kingdom who's righteous?
2: You know, that just that would not work. <laughs> And it's incompatible with God. And let's talk about eternal life. Do you really know what eternal means? I bet you're just thinking unending. That's not what eternal means. Here's from Thayer's Dictionary
1: of Eternal. Without beginning and end, that which always has been and always
2: will be. And without end,
1: never to cease, everlasting. Eternal means more than just everlasting. It's really talking
2: about a certain kind of life. It's not
1: the mortal life. Who are you talking about if you're saying without beginning and end, that which always has been and always will be?
2: Who has that kind of life? Yeshua. He's always been and always will be. His life. Divine life. That's what eternal life is. One who believes in the Son has eternal life. Has it? Eternal life is injected into you. When you believe in the Son. And you are born anew. And that life works its way all through you. And you start this process of change. And it's
1: not a thing that is totally completed, the change part, right away. It's kind of like a caterpillar, right? That goes into that cocoon. Looks like nothing's happening, but there's really a lot going on in there. And then one day, that caterpillar rips open its cocoon and it comes out a beautiful butterfly. One day, your old carcass
2: will come to an end, and then
1: coming forward from that will be your new, renewed body to match this
2: renewed life that is in you. That's going to happen on the day Yeshua returns. That's what I'm looking forward to looking forward to that day, and I'm sure you are too.
1: Well, this is an exciting subject, and there's really so much that could be said about it, but the biggest thing is to live it, isn't it?
0: been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Some of the scripture verses referenced in today's program are John chapter 3 verse 1 through verse 36 Deuteronomy chapter 30 Numbers chapter 21 verse 4 through verse 9 1 John chapter 2 verse 10 Isaiah 65, verse 17, Isaiah 66, verse 22, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Ephesians chapter 4, and Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through verse 7. Further teachings, topics, and study materials on Yeshua Messiah, the prophesied King of Israel. The faithful remnant of Israel that believes in Messiah and their role in the last days according to End Times prophecy, the good news of the kingdom, more mysteries of the kingdom, being born anew, the Holy Spirit, overcoming unbelief, the bronze serpent in Numbers chapter 21, spiritual warfare. Immersion, serving God, the gifts of the Spirit, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and other kinds of ministry, and how understanding the Torah from Messiah's perspective can help you with walking out the Word of God in your life, along with many other related topics, can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to Zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more from Hebraic insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom!
3: Ask
0: for the ancient would you like to hear more of Eliyahu's teachings? Do you have a question or prayer request? And would like to get in touch with one of our volunteers for help? Or do you just want to know more about Eliyahu Ben David and Zion ministry? Visit our website at zion.org where you can Listen to more teachings from Eliyahu Ben David straight from the homepage of our website. Check out our books, DVDs, internet videos, and other social media outlets. Learn more about Eliyahu and the Zion team on the About page. See what our ministry's mission is on the Remnant Vision page. Send a question or prayer request from our Contact Us page. Or click Join Us in the menu bar to learn about our community site Zion Tabernacle. To find out more about Zion ministry, Go to zion.org. That's zion.org spelled T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G.